0: Hey, it's 99. You're probably getting used to me starting the episodes with a list of names or handles of sponsors that support the show. We're going to do that in a second, but I wanted to quickly run through ways to support our work that don't cost anything. You can support us by telling a friend or signing up for our Substack, which will always be free. That one is very important to Max. When we started, he insisted on having no gated content. You can leave us a rating or review on whatever app you prefer. Share our links on social media. Every little bit counts, and we do our best to recognize everyone's effort to build this community. Even purchasing our native roasted unfucking brand coffee at unftr.com shop, which supports our friends on the Puspatuk Reservation, was designed as a way for coffee drinkers to support us by paying for something you already pay for. Like Max always says, if you drink coffee, just buy this coffee. So that's our pitch. Now, for those who have taken financial memberships to support the show at buymeacoffee.com unftr, Obviously, you've gone above and beyond. And for this, you have our undying gratitude. So thank you to Insane Level members Sam C., Cringy, Cindy S., Corey S., Nathan E., Michelle H., W. Jeremy D., Eric Wagner 101, and Rob Nasby for sponsoring Unfucking the Republic.
1: Good work, 99. You're a lifesaver.
0: This is a major podcast and we call it UNFTR. I'm fucking the Republic is
1: the name that is not safe for work. We hate Reagan, Milton Friedman, Rupert Murdoch, and Matt Gates. Talk socioeconomics,
0: global markets, politics, and race. Max, the host, is basic and admits he likes Miami Vice. 99 produces, also she's a vegan and she's nice. Manny Faces is the genius on the board behind the glass. Together they produce this unbelievable fucking podcast. Together they produce this unbelievable fucking podcast. Together they produce this unbelievable fucking podcast,
1: And uh, yeah. By the way, my name is
0: Tom McGovern, and just know that I'm a hired gun. So if you're gonna hate somebody, please don't let me be the one. Now you have the details of the show and the entire cast. So listen to this unbelievable fucking podcast. So listen to this unbelievable, this
1: unbelievable, so listen to this
0: unbelievable fucking podcast. You have these wings, AOC, and her group on one side. It's like five people. No, it's the progressive
1: group. It's more than well, five. I'm a progressive. Yeah, you're a progressive, Nancy. Tisk tisk. You think I could
0: fool a Carleon?
1: We've been doing this for a while together, unfuckers. And the longer we do this, the more obvious and pronounced certain patterns become: the steady messaging on the right halting social progress and economic measures that would benefit the working class and majority of the country; the oppressive use of force both at home and abroad. Issues of class and race are at the heart of policy discussions, both covertly and overtly. These forces, or patterns, manage to obscure the path forward and our pursuit of logical and widely accepted structural changes to our system and politics. I mean, the things that we need are fairly basic and pretty straightforward. When you strip away all of the bullshit, they become self-evident in a maddening way. One can imagine an alien or, I don't know, a Canadian or New Zealander who somehow managed to avoid the chaos of the discourse in this country and having only precious few details about us, working through these scenarios. If all you knew is that we had a mature democratic system of representation, the most resource-rich territory on the planet, a fully literate population, and nearly 30% of the world's wealth with only 5% of the world's population— then core socioeconomic and justice questions would have pretty straightforward answers. With these circumstances, this person would assume that this population had access to health care, would be interested in preserving the planet that feeds and enriches it, offered a robust educational experience to its citizens, and protected its elders. Given these inputs and expectations, this person would probably be surprised by national rankings found in the United Nations Human Development Index, a composite index of three key metrics, life expectancy, education, and gross national income. We're ranked 17 behind... Norway, Ireland, Switzerland, Hong Kong, Iceland, Germany, Sweden, Australia, the Netherlands, Denmark, Finland, Singapore, United Kingdom, Belgium, New Zealand, and Canada. Now, we love to pretend that we have a functioning democracy, but when pressed, it's clear that we have some pretty fundamental flaws. But like a friend of mine always says, you can't do the big things if you can't do the little things. In this case, the little things that get in the way of massive, life-altering policies are structural in nature. Getting rid of the filibuster, campaign finance reform to get dark money out of politics, direct child tax payments, early childhood education, lowering the cost of prescription drugs, fairly drawn and representative districts, voting rights and access, elected officials not being able to trade on inside information, and so on. In many ways, the right wing in this country certainly stands in the way of achieving such basic measures of democracy and human rights. But that doesn't account for the periods when Democrats are fully in charge, like, oh, I don't know, right now. So it leads to a more cynical view of democratic obstructionism. We trace the call.
0: It's coming from inside the house. You hear me? It's coming from inside the house.
1: From the Clinton years forward, the increasingly radicalized agenda of the right wing has done more than just prevent basic and decent measures from moving forward. It's provided cover for moderate and conservative Democrats as well. And when you put them together, they represent the majority bloc in Congress and at the state legislative level, making progressives who promote rational and decent causes look increasingly untethered from reality. So who are these so-called moderate Democrats and centrists that are stymieing the progressive agenda, an agenda that in most OECD countries is fairly benign? Originally, you might recall that I alluded to an upcoming quickie that examined three distinct alliances in the Democratic Party. Well, that is this episode. But as I went further down the rabbit hole, I decided to turn it into a full-fledged unfucking because there's so much more to tell. Chapter 1. Meet Josh. I want to put someone on your radar if he's not already. Sort of the walking, talking embodiment of what's wrong with the Democratic Party. But first, let's talk money for a second. We know that Congress is a big money game, and the higher the profile one has, the more money they attract. And the more contentious and at risk the district, the more outside money pours in. That's how it works. Representatives in safe districts who are relatively safe from primary challenges and who maintain a low profile don't typically hold all that much cash on hand. For some perspective, AOC is currently sitting on about $6 million. The House Minority Leader, Kevin McCarthy, has $8.2 million in cash on hand. Lauren Boebert has about $2 million. Matt Gates has around $4 million. Uh, <laughs> Sweet. Some of the biggest fundraisers in Congress, according to Open Secrets, are the Republicans who supported overthrowing the election. Representatives like Jordan, Scalise, Bobert, Gates, MTG, and Stefanik have hauled in millions of dollars since the insurrection. On the other side of the Capitol, the numbers change. For example, Raphael Warnock is sitting on about $22 million because of the stakes of his re-election bid senators who aren't running however typically don't hold that much cash but the fundraising machine will crank up as their terms draw closer to closing out for example mitt romney's next election isn't until 2024 so he's only sitting on less than a million that all changes quickly when it's go time point being considering there are 535 of these fuckers across the country the total figures add up pretty quickly This is a big money game, the likes of which we've never seen before, and all since the Supreme Court decided to treat corporations as people, allow for secrecy through dark money packs, and take the limits off contributions. So with some perspective on individual candidates and fundraising, I wanna turn your attention to Josh Gottheimer, Democratic congressperson from New Jersey's 5th District. I didn't know you were moving to Jersey. Before winning his seat, JG had a pretty tight resume. He was a speechwriter in the Clinton White House, counsel for the FCC, an executive at Ford and then Microsoft. Gottheimer is articulate, well-connected, and very ambitious. And he did something pretty impressive in 2016. Not a great year for Democrats, if you recall. He unseated Republican congressperson Scott Garrett, who had held the seat since 2002. Since then, the district has been in Gottheimer's hands and been reliably blue, though this year will be a test. Well, theoretically. The four remaining Republicans in the primary to face Gottheimer collectively maintain $685,000 in cash on hand as of the March filing. In other words, the RNC has given up on this district. And this is probably for two reasons. The first is the amount of money that Gottheimer already has and his increasingly high profile within the state. The second is that the district is changing So when the new redistricting maps are in effect next year for the next decade the district will be safely democratic and very safely so okay so why josh well first off there's the money now that we've demonstrated what normal fundraising and cash on hand looks like across the country gottheimer is somewhat of a standout as of the last filing gottheimer who is running unopposed in the primary and whose republican opponents all told barely cobbled together a little under 700 grand has more than $13 million on hand. That is a fuck ton of money for a congressperson in a relatively safe blue district even the RNC has given up on. That alone should tell you a couple of things, not the least of which is that he's going to be a fucking player in the future, so you should know his name. More to the policy point, Gottheimer has quietly wielded outsized influence over democratic policy in just the last couple of years. For example, while progressives and establishment Dems were gnashing teeth over the infrastructure and reconciliation bills being paired, Gottheimer emerged as what many considered to be a voice of reason. So let's hear from him directly to get a feel for his presence.
0: Joining us right now with more of the details of the proposal and to talk about paying for this plan is New Jersey Congressman Josh Gottheimer. Of course, he's the co-chair of the Problem Solvers Caucus. And Josh, always good to see you. Um, Hey, Becky. We kind of keep thinking that this is dead on arrival. What's going on with bipartisan talks, and yet there's still activity happening behind the scenes. What what kind of odds of survival would you give a bipartisan deal at this point?
1: I'm going to give it good odds. You know, I will tell you the White House is interested. We've got members in both parties interested in both houses. Obviously, the problem solver's caucus. We put out our package last week called Building Bridges. It was about $1.249 trillion over eight years, focused on the hard or physical infrastructure side of this, the roads, the bridges, the tunnels, the rail, some climate uh, uh, the projects
0: like the Gateway Tunnel, water infrastructure, broadband.
1: Like I said, he's articulate and in the face of all the infighting seemed pretty reasonable compared to his colleagues on the left. The problem is that in practice and in session, Gottheimer's voting record aligns pretty far right on the ideology spectrum. In Substack, I'm including a chart from GovTrack.com that shows where politicians fall on their ideology leadership chart. And Gottheimer is the furthest right of all Democrats and firmly in the Republican camp in terms of his record. One of the key areas Gottheimer focused on and made progress on in the House is the repeal of the Trump-era salt cap, which many saw as a punitive measure against high-income blue states that went against Trump in the 2016 election. Essentially, the SALT cap limited all other tax deductions to $10,000, and this was highly contentious, and journalists like David Sirota did a great deal of work pulling the curtain back to reveal that while indeed punitive towards states like New York and California where property taxes often exceed 10000 even in middle-class areas, the cap impacted about 13% of the nation's total population. And of this 13%, the effect was negligible because this segment of the population already has other deductions like mortgage interest to take advantage of. So in the dead-on-arrival Build Back Better bill, the DOA-BBB, there was a compromise to raise the limit to 80000 which would have provided a tax benefit to most of the 13% of anywhere from $20 to $400. Yes, that's it. Now, conservative Democrats were more in favor of a full repeal, which would have given almost all of the benefit to those who earn more than a million dollars per year. In other words, another break for the 1%. New proposals from reps like Katie Porter and Bernie Sanders would tie the cap to income instead, but the bottom line remains that the biggest push for the repeal wasn't coming from Republicans. It was coming from the Democrats. And leading the charge was Gottheimer, who was willing to hold up the infrastructure bill and build back better to see his wealthiest constituents in New Jersey and his outside donors who benefit the most win there are many within the progressive caucus who believe that Gottheimer and his allies were just as responsible for scuttling progress on build back better even though a version of it ultimately passed the house than the most notorious figures in the senate like Manchin or cinema yet despite his ascension to internal public enemy number one to the progressives no one has emerged to challenge his position on the left leaving him completely unopposed in the primary. When you drill further into J.G.'s finances, an even more clear portrait emerges. For example, his top contributor, sending a total of $81,624 his way, is the Blackstone Group. That's the group that continues to invest in fossil fuel technology, such as oil rigs and coal-fired power plants, and is now the largest private housing owner in the country. The symbol of the burgeoning rental crisis in America. The whole list of his contributors, such as Blackstone, KKR, Apollo Global, and his top industries, which are investment banking firms, real estate, law firms, insurance companies, and pro-Israel organizations, read like a who's who of Republican donors. And yet Gottheimer is a rising star in the Democratic Party. Houston, we have a
0: problem. UNFTR is also brought to you by Insane Level members Tam Jam, Isoke, Nick G and Cassie LMM, Nathan Sirst, Nathan Second, Awesome A, Jen S, Ryan F, and Asshole.
1: Chapter 2. No Labels. Much of Gonheimer's strength comes from a coordinated donor base that aligns with the pack that got some attention in 2018, though most Americans wouldn't be familiar with it. It's called No Labels. The PAC received funding from notable billionaires such as Lewis Bacon, James Murdoch, and Nelson Peltz, a major Trump supporter. No Labels is the brain trust behind one of the caucuses that we're going to look closely at today, the Problem Solvers Caucus. But more on that in a bit. No Labels tapped Gottheimer to co-chair the group, which was billed as a bipartisan group in Congress organized to break through the toxic partisan divide.
0: Well, isn't that special? <laughs>
1: On the surface, No Labels as a pack is very well-funded, but it's far from a juggernaut. The money it raises and spends wouldn't necessarily raise any red flags, but some quality shoe leather in 2018 uncovered ties to a number of other packs, such as United for Progress, United Together, Govern or Go Home, and Forward Not Back. It was originally the Chicago Sun-Times that put the pieces together, linking donors, organization addresses, shared treasurers, and other indicators that essentially showed that they were all connected. It was a way to spread the money around and divide and conquer on certain issues cloaked in secret dark money accounts, but the agenda was very clear. Do the bidding of billionaires. Now, in that same year, Wisconsin congressperson Mark Pocan wrote an op-ed in HuffPost saying, Look, I get it. No labels is slick, and I got duped. But no other current or newly elected member of Congress should fall for its shtick. No labels is a centrist, corporate organization working against Democrats with dark, anonymous money to advance power for special interests. Period. End quote. Now, here's where the money meets policy through obstruction. So go back to the summer of 2021, when we were in the throes of the debate over pairing the It's Fucked For Sure and Build Back Better bills. The Intercept reported on a no-labels donor call with elected officials. According to The Intercept, the call included wealthy donors such as Howard Marks, Andrew Tisch, Gordon Siegel, and former Democratic Senator Joe Lieberman, among others. The leader of the call, Nancy Jacobson, remember her name, spoke openly about rewarding members with, quote, hard dollars if they maintain solidarity against any increases in taxes on the wealthy. Now, to be clear, this is illegal, though it's unlikely this avenue will ever be pursued. Hard dollars, by the way, are direct donations to candidates to use at their discretion. These differ from dark money dollars that place ads separate and apart from a candidate. Now, later in the summer, Jacobson apparently dangled hard dollars in front of two No Labels members to skip one of Nancy Pelosi's fundraisers as well. This type of direct interference is bold by any standard. Ultimately, the No Labels members prevailed by getting key tax provisions eliminated and the larger bills uncoupled. Something that Gottheimer celebrated in a Zoom call with No Labels donors saying, quote, it wouldn't have happened, hard stop. You should feel just so proud. This is your win as much as it is my win, end quote. Now here's an example of the bullshit propaganda that No Labels tries to put out. Now it should be said that they obviously don't have much of a budget for this shit because their videos are fucking terrible. But here's one with just over 300 views on YouTube that says pretty much everything you need to know about the type of candidates that they prefer.
0: Two U.S. senators, Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin,
1: are leading the way, uniting both parties with principle, compassion, and
0: civility. Ah, horse shit!
1: So if you're still not convinced that this is a shitbag organization, in 2016, they gave Donald Trump an official award. Cringeworthy and pointless propaganda and bullshit awards aside, No Labels does have a knack for maximizing its investment in candidates, but apart from the big-money players that they represent, perhaps the most damning aspect of the organization is the brains behind it. Here's where the web gets even more tangled. No Labels founder, Nancy Jacobson, remember her? The one who pledged those hard-money dollars to protect her billionaire donors and friends? Is married to Mark Penn the chief strategist for Hillary Clinton's losing campaign in 2008. Once again, The Intercept's Ryan Grimm connected the dots and drew a straight line from no labels to Pen. Grimm characterizes Penn as the, quote, metaphorical devil on the shoulder, whispering toxic advice into the ears of Democratic candidates, end quote. For example, it was a Pen invention to paint Barack Obama as unpatriotic and more Indonesian than American due to his upbringing. But as it turns out, Penn isn't just tied to no labels, but to the network of secretive packs associated with it and a few others that should raise an alarm. Chapter 3. Caucus meet money. Money meet caucus. First up, a little tale about a blue dog.
0: Great. Great. We gotta find a paw print. That's the first clue.
1: We put it in a notebook. And now what do we do? Blues,
0: blues, blues, blues.
1: Uh, That's the wrong blue. Although I bet a whole bunch of 30-something unfuckers just had a Pavlovian response as soon as we played that theme. Anyway, I'm talking about Blue Dog Dems a coalition of elected Democrats organized in 1995 to, quote, represent the common-sense moderate view of the Democratic Party, appealing to mainstream American values. These were moderate Democrats who claimed they were, quote, choked blue by party extremists on both sides of the aisle. One of the legislative accomplishments that they like to take credit for, though it's a dubious claim at best, is the passage of PAYGO legislation that required all new spending bills to demonstrate that they would be paid for. Now, thankfully, this hit the dustbin when Biden was elected, and it was one of the stupidest and most abused aspects of legislative policy. And in addition to all sorts of fiscally conservative measures, the Blue Dogs are mostly known for being strong advocates for military spending. And on this, they've been a lot more successful. Now, today, Blue Dogs aren't nearly as influential as they once were, but they're a keen reminder of Clinton-era Democratic policy that was shrouded in conservatism but sold as progressive. Today, the dwindling membership includes fuck nuggets like Senator Charlie Crist, who is once again running for governor of Florida, his former position. Forget the fact that DeSantis would literally mop the floor of It's a Small World with Charlie Crist, even if Crist wins his primary. This fucking guy has no center and no compass. I mean, my man was in favor of the border wall, against same-sex marriage, in favor of capital punishment, and he even switched parties at one point. Another stellar example of a Blue Dog is our buddy, Henry Cuellar. We talked enough about him last time, but I thought I'd bring him back up as a reminder to support his primary opponent, Jessica Cisneros. Oh, and of course, Josh Gottheimer is a Blue Dog as well. But the Blue Dogs are kind of a yesterday thing. There's a much bigger and more organized coalition called the New Democrat Coalition. But don't worry, Cuellar, Crist, and Gottheimer are members here as well. This 98-member coalition is the Democratic Party. They vote as a block. They hold center-to-center-right positions that align with leadership, raise money as a block, and pretty much run the Biden agenda and not the other way around. Healthcare? Fine as is. Military budget? What else do you need? Immigration? Oh, we should really look at that someday. Listening to anything progressives have to say? (laughs)
0: No! No, God, please, no, 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 no.
1: So you've got the old guard, Clinton era war and budget hawks and the blue dogs, the middle of the road, beige color throw up Democrats and the new Democrat coalition. And then these fucking guys.
0: Co-chairing a caucus of congressional moderates from both parties who are intent on collaborating, not competing. They call themselves the problem solvers.
1: This caucus emphasis on the cock, pulls together asshats from both sides to produce meaningful bipartisan legislation intended to keep the country right where it fucking is. Here's a list of the people that they brought together to work on criminal justice reform. Van Jones, Jared Kushner, and Grover Norquist. This resulted in a bill called the First Step Act, which overlooked every study on recidivism included funding for algorithms that unfairly target people of color and rely on an incentive system that puts more power into the hands of attorneys general the caucus also supported the securing our schools act of 2018 a bill opposed by civil rights organizations because it would create deeper ties with law enforcement in schools promote anonymous threat tips from students that would disproportionately target students of color and strengthen the school to prison pipeline instead of prioritizing mental health and safety Their big initiative on healthcare is to lower prescription drug prices, boasting support from Senators Susan Collins and Joe Manchin. But despite this bipartisan support and this being a major priority according to their website and a major priority for the Biden administration supposedly, curiously, nothing has gotten done. And as far as the rest of the healthcare system is concerned, Now, if you're wondering where the anti-China push in Congress is coming from, look no further. On China, the caucus dedicates a fair bit of ink. They're very concerned about the Uyghurs. They want to increase our military presence in the Pacific and pursue more aggressive competitive stances. Of course, the Problem Solvers Caucus is just an extension of no labels and the brainchild of none other than Mark Penn. The man Esquire magazine called the, quote, Typhoid Mary of bad political strategy and patient zero of terrible political ideas. This guy couldn't get Jesus elected to a parish council. End quote. And yet, that's what we got: the beating heart of the Democratic Party, being influenced by a Clinton flunky and determined to keep America in neutral by protecting the interest of the billionaire class. Chapter four, bring it home, Max. Well, you know, we all love and adore Max, but there's no denying he's very. uh...
0: And we accept the fact (laughs) that he's, um... there's just no getting around
1: it. There's not even a word for it. Do you follow me? I want to leave you with an example in real time. I mean, fuckery taking place literally right before our eyes that illustrates just how broken the system is on the left. I mean, even by the standards of the asshat caucuses that we just covered, this one is beyond ridiculous. There's a new congressional seat up for grabs in Oregon as the result of redistricting. And by the way, that's the last time I'm saying the state name correctly and I had to practice it. Oregonians, or Oregonians, whatever the fuck you want to say, have given me shit over my New York pronunciation, but I am what I am. So from now on, it's Oregon, all right? So anyways, there's a new fucking district in Oregon up for grabs. And based on everything else that we know about Oregon and the way that the district is drawn, it's more than likely going to go blue. And the progressives actually had a horse in the race. Current state rep Andrea Salinas, daughter of a Mexican immigrant who has the support of Latino groups in the state. Handpicked candidate of the Democratic governor, Kate Brown, supported by Planned Parenthood, Congressional Hispanic Caucus, and the Service Employees International Union. No-brainer, right? So Salinas is the favorite of Dems in the state, home to one of my favorite progressive nerds, by the way, Congressman Earl Blumenauer, and she has the endorsements of pretty much every organization near and dear to progressives. By the way, I want to live in Blumenauer's America. I'm telling you, from legalizing weed to climate and housing justice— blumenauer is one of the most undercovered and underappreciated voices in progressivism i know our oregon listeners can't stand the way i say their state but i am what i am like i said what i do know is this bow tie wearing old white motherfucker is the kind of progressive nerd that we need more of in our lives but i digress back to salinas so it turns out that salinas has been overtaken in the polls by a newcomer named carrick flynn now according to ballotpedia flynn has a decent amount of money but nothing eye-popping like a Gottheimer, for example. And yet the market has been saturated with ads for Flynn, courtesy of a pack called Protect Our Future, which has already spent, get this, more than $7 million to elect this kid. In Substack, by the way, I linked the most recent disclosure form from Protect Our Future so you can see what one of these looks like if you're curious. So what kind of future is Protect Our Future trying to protect, you might ask? Apparently one where cryptocurrency reigns supreme. See, Protect Our Future is backed by a Bahamas-based cryptocurrency billionaire, yes, with a B, named Sam Bankman-Fried. But wait, it gets better. Flynn raised an additional million from a new pack called Justice Unites Us. And who's behind that, you might ask? I don't know. Because it's something called a pop-up pack. A fucking pop-up pack. What is that? Essentially... They created it before it's necessary to reveal it in filings, so we won't know who's behind it until after the fucking primary. Ah, horse shit! Hang on, I'm not done. In the spirit of follow the money and fuck the progressives, a Democratic pack most closely associated with Nancy Pelosi decided to pile on and give another million dollars to back Flynn in the primary instead of holding it back to beat Republicans in the fall. So Salinas... This odds-on progressive favorite has been upended by a dark money pop-up pack that just dropped in a million bucks on top of millions more from a pack funded by a Bahamas-based crypto billionaire and now another one million from Pelosi. All to support a no-name candidate who has raised precious little money from within the state but has somehow saturated the airwaves with messaging bought and paid for by outside money. This is how stacked the deck is against progressives and why it's so fucking difficult to beat the establishment and so fucking necessary to do so at the same time. Now, obviously, the answer is campaign finance reform to get money out of politics. But as you can see, wealthy donors have lined pockets on the right, on the left, and in the center to ensure that reasonable measures like campaign finance reform are never even considered. The only people who can fix this problem are the ones benefiting the most from it. Because as long as crypto billionaires can buy their own fucking congressperson and billionaire financiers can control an entire voting block, we're fucked. We need numbers. We need Salinas, Cisneros, Fetterman, you name it. We can't take on the right until we cut the heart out of the Gottheimer left. The Democratic caucus is more cock than us. Beware the ascent of Gottheimer. Earl Blumenauer rules. Here endeth the lesson.
0: It's the end of the episode, where we used to do show notes. Now we just talk through a few things. Reflect on what was said, or what we should have done instead. Oh, post-show musings. Cause I've had everything, but no one's listening. And that's just fucking long.
1: So post-show musings is just me talking to myself. 99's not here. I have this, like, phantom pain. I, I I don't even know what to do with myself right now. I'm staring at her chair in the studio like she's there, but she's not. She actually had to take a few days off, so the part that you heard in the beginning she sent in separately. And so now I'm sitting here like a crazy person in the studio at night, by myself, staring at 99's, Empty chair.
0: Empty chairs at empty tables where my friends will meet no more.
1: So I guess we'll just make short work of this then. Many of the topics that are on the board for the remainder of the year are ones that you've sent in, on fuckers. That's a point that I wanted to make before we leave today. It's just a reminder that as we continue to get to know each other, the deeper the connection and collaboration between us. And as you can no doubt tell, we're doubling and tripling down to create quality content. So if you can support us in all the ways that 99 mentioned in her introduction, it would really mean a lot. Because if we're going to keep up this pace and keep raising the bar, we're definitely going to need your help. So look out for show notes at some point midweek. If you listen to them from this past week, you'll undoubtedly pick up on what it's like when Manny has a few cocktails and is in a really good mood. I told him when he sent the audio over that he turned show notes into like a full-fledged episode. It was pretty amazing, actually. So that's it. 99 not here this week. Sending her some mad love. I hope you'll send in some as well for her. Everything's good, by the way. She just had to take a couple days to take care of a few things. Uh, But we'll be back in the studio together next week, certainly for show notes. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the topical cream from this week as well. Ew. Uh, That was something unexpected, but... You know, Elon taking over Twitter was uh, irresistible to me, so I uh, wanted to knock that out and put some thoughts out into the into the universe before you know we get thrown off Twitter, like we care. Twitter, not a not a huge thing for us. Some some people fuck with 99 on there, and and that's good. But uh, Twitter, not not huge. Anyway, follow us on social. Do all those kind of crazy things as always. Unfucking the Republic is edited and arranged by sound design maestro, Manny Faces. Yeah, regardless of what he says, you could follow me on Twitter, at Manny Faces. The show is lovingly produced, even in absentia, by the great and powerful, omniscient, although currently absent, 99.
0: Empty chairs and empty tables.
1: Our theme music was composed by Tom McGovern. Visit TomMcGovern.com. By the way, we threw that extra one in there because it was just so good. We had to do it again, right? The show is hosted by farts and distributed in the wind. Send us your comments, your questions, your suggestions to unftrpod at gmail.com. Connect with us on social at unftrpod. Become a member at buymeacoffee.com unftr. Visit our book list at bookshop.org shop. Slash UNFTR Pod. We have a whole bunch of new books up there. If you haven't been there recently, go to the bookshop link because there's a ton of books in there. In addition to the ones that we put up there, obviously, that we reference on the show, listeners have been submitting some really solid book choices. I've actually ordered a bunch from the listener uh, selections that you can find there. So go there. It's becoming quite the catalog. Uh, get some native roasted coffee at unftr.com slash shop. The Mellow Maynard blend, by the way, is definitely my new favorite. I love it so much. And lastly, read our essays on Substack at unftr.substack.com. It will always be free. Now, as I look at the empty chair across from me, and bid adieu to my friend and co-conspirator, my comrade, my sister-in-arms, 99, wondering where she is, what's she doing, somewhere out there, under the same bright star. What is she doing right now? See you later, 99.
0: Somewhere out there beneath